here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. I am Benjamin Day. And I'm Stephanie Nakajima. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Except for Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg. I'm having like a sense of deja vu. Mm. Like you left him out of the podcast last week. Um, what has he done now? He really does need to be banished from our Medicare for All system. <laughs> a Florida activist named Elijah Manley this week said that the Bloomberg campaign called him up and offered him $6,500 a month plus benefits mm, to come sweet. on board their campaign. I know, right? Um, Manley responded that he supports Sanders, um, and the recru- recruiter came back with, well, you can support whoever you want personally, <laughs> but we'd like to have you on the campaign. So maybe <laughs> no they're loyalty having... required. <laughs> you are a mercenary. Mm-hmm. So he declined, but said um, he was really t- tempted to take it because he doesn't have health benefits right now. Oh, fuck me. Um, and fuck Florida. Fuck it all. <laughs> I mean, our health care system basically, you know, allows rich people to dangle health care in front of our faces. Uh, and that is not, you know, a democracy. Bloomberg will always want to have that power over us. And and that's why, hell no, Bloomberg, no, you may not be in our Medicare uh-huh. for all. Because <laughs> if you think you can buy your way into the debate stage and into the nomination, at that point, you have really just left society and best of luck out there. Right. So choose your job for health care. <laughs> then choose your wife or husband for health care. <laughs> and also choose your presidential candidate yes. <laughs> just so you can get the health care you need because we can't guarantee it is right. Sorry, folks. Your favorite billionaire. <laughs> So um, we have some exciting stuff to talk about this week. Um, Most exciting, top of the list, is that there's a new massive national Medicare for All campaign that was launched just this last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ourselves, Healthcare Now, are part of a coalition um, that's going to roll out this campaign. It's being led by National Nurses United. um, And it is called the Patients Over Profits Pledge. So, Stephanie, um, before we get into the details, like nuts and bolts of what this campaign is going to look like, um, this is a campaign that is targeting legislators so they will not take money from the healthcare industry. Why is that important, like at this particular stage in our movement? Right. So as we expected, as our movement is taking off, there's momentum in Congress and at the grassroots level. Uh, Our opposition has taken notice and they have organized, they've convened a new organization, uh, the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future. You may have heard of it, (laughs) Um, which is comprised of bad guys like health insurers, members of pharma, hospitals, and everybody else who has something to lose. Chambers of commerce. Chambers of Commerce, exactly. <laughs> um, so now we have this like mega villain, this mm-hmm. transformer of multiple villains um, who have have convened this new partnership and they are spending a lot of money, for example, on ads, on industry aligned speakers, on ghostwriting op eds mm-hmm. for uh, members of Congress and other legislators and employing lobbyists to spread their talking points. Um, why don't we go ahead and listen to to a short clip of an ad? Yeah, this is like a prime example of what they're running around the country. 
Politicians are pushing one-size-fits-all health plans. Medicare for all, Medicare buy-in, and a public option all mean the same thing. You'd pay more to wait longer for worse care. So they're doing stuff like this, and of course, they're also donating millions to our elected officials. So how are we going to take on this new mega opposition that has launched with the express purpose of taking down Medicare for all? Um, So NNU has come up with this Patients Over Profits pledge. Uh, Ben, can you tell us a little more about it? Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward. Basically, um, we are going to be asking uh, legislators, uh, elected officials, but especially members of Congress, to not accept money from any arm of the healthcare industry that is part of the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future. Any wing of the healthcare industry that is trying to undermine Medicare for All, trying to prevent us from getting the healthcare we need, uh, we want to drive a wedge between this partnership, this sort of empire of evil who's trying to stop us from getting our health care, and the legislators who are supposed to be representing us, I'll, I'll remind you, uh, just <laughs> normal constituents and patients. So here's a little clip from Max Cotterell of National Nurses United um, on a national uh, call that they hosted to launch this campaign. The Patients Over Profits Pledge is going to aim to sever those direct ties that corporations actively involved in fighting Medicare for All have been carefully building with politicians across the country. And so in this fight to pass Medicare for All, what we know is that we'll never be able to outspend the for-profit industry. But we can make the act of accepting their campaign contributions politically toxic. Well put, Max. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I would say just a little bit beyond this, that uh, any elected official can sign this pledge, uh, whether that's mayors, city councilors, uh, state reps, state senators, any target is fair game. But obviously, the big boys are the ones in Congress who can actually uh, enact Medicare for all and who the partnership is just spending uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars trying to weasel their way into their confidences and to get them to oppose this. Um, So now, uh, I'd like to say that us in the Medicare for all movement could take credit for this campaign design (laughs) and the structure. But actually, we have a closely allied movement who's had a lot of success with this kind of pledge approach. Um, Stephanie, do you want to say a little bit more about sort of the roots of this tactic and this strategy? Sure. So if this campaign sounds familiar, it's because uh, the climate change movement in 2017 launched a very similar pledge called the No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge. Um, after which the Patients Over Profits pledge is kind of designed. So uh, the No Fossil Fuel Money pledge prohibited signees from accepting campaign contributions over $200 from executives, political groups, or lobbyists in the oil, gas, or coal industries. So what has been the impact of this? Almost all of the major candidates in the presidential race have signed the pledge, although both Biden and Buttigieg have come under fire for violations of Mm -hmm. of the pledge. (laughs) Um, And over 50 members of Congress and both the Senate and the House have signed as well, and dozens of electeds at state and local levels as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when there was news about Biden holding a fundraiser with uh, an investor in fossil fuels and Buttigieg also having close ties uh, with some of these industry players, that has been huge news, and it's really affected perceptions about their campaigns. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Ben? What do you think is the potential of this campaign? Yeah, well, so first of all, I'm going to play, play a clip from uh, an activist in the Sunrise Movement who has worked, uh, been heavily involved in this no fossil fuel contributions campaign um, to talk about what he sees as the impacts. And then I'm going to say a little bit about how that sort of carries over to Medicare for All. 
For us, the No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge has been a tremendous tool for three reasons. First, it's been a really good organizing tool for building our organizing muscle. Second, it's helped us draw media attention to the corruption of fossil fuel money in our politics. And three, it's translated into concrete political gains, both in winning and losing elections, as well as the impact inside the legislatures. Yeah, so these are all some of the outcomes that I think we'll see also in the Medicare for All movement. Um, I see this pledge as like a very versatile tactic, right? Um, You can target existing uh, legislators who support Medicare for All already, but, you know, maybe their level of commitment is not super strong. Uh, Maybe we're a little worried that when it comes time to actually vote on this bill, we might lose that legislator, um, that they might get cold feet. Um, now is the time to try and get them to up their commitment level and to really pledge not to take money from these industries, um, which I think will more firmly secure them in our camp when it comes time to vote. Um, but you can also target if you have like a legislator who is so right wing that you don't think they're ever going to back Medicare for all. This is a way to publicly shame them. Right. And to start imposing political costs on them for making the wrong decision. So I think you can take uh, you can apply this in, to all sorts of different targets. Um, and there's also been a lot of success recently getting candidates to uh, pledge not to take PAC money, for example. Um, obviously, not all candidates have, have, have come up with this, have agreed to this pledge. Um, but there's parallels of this tactic working um, in clean elections, in anti-fossil fuel uh, movement and clean energy movement. Um, and I think bringing this tactic to our movement is really going to strengthen us. Yeah, I think the corporate PAC pledge has been really useful for our movement because, you know, we've seen candidates who have taken the pledge return or refuse donations from insurance and pharmaceutical companies. But because it doesn't include individuals like you know, the new Patients Over Profit pledge does, executives have been free to donate money as individuals to candidates. And that's a big issue too, right? Because a couple can actually give more than a PAC can. So two people can give more than a PAC. They can give up to $5,600. So Ed Markey, who is a co-sponsor of the Medicare for All bill, you know, when you look up his campaign donations, um, he has taken uh, donations, actually maxed out donations, uh, from health insurance executives. And this pledge sort of encourages us as activists to take a closer look at the financing sources of our incumbents and our candidates and say, look, this obviously violates the spirit of your co-sponsorship of Medicare for All, a bill that would actually do away with these corporations that are giving you money. You know, and please stand with us and not the corporations. Yeah, this is another clever way that that uh, that corporations impact elections. Um, sometimes with they won't have an official company pack that funnels money to a candidate. They'll like get all the executives in the company to bundle their money together, essentially, and send it to a certain candidate. And then they're going to know who it's coming from. But this pledge is designed to catch those people, too. Um, but it is it will not catch, you know, if some hapless low level employee of a pharmaceutical company wants to support whoever exactly. candidate they support. That's fine. We're not going after those contributions. So, Stephanie, if folks uh, who are listening want to get involved with this campaign, uh, want to help us uh, pressure their electeds to take this pledge. How do they do it? How do they get involved? And what is it like? What do you have to do to, to actually carry this out? Sure. So if you're listening to this right now, you actually can participate in this campaign yes. because every <laughs> single district, there has not been a single uh, signer in Congress of this pledge yet. So mm-hmm. everybody, 
everybody has somebody to work on. Brand new campaign. <laughs> <laughs> totally brand new. So um, there's going to be a week of action, April 6th to the 10th. Um, before that, we'll be doing canvases uh, to ask people to demand that their representative take this pledge. And so we're going to be collecting signatures before that. And then we're going to be gathering them together and we're going to have a drop off date sometime in April. And both Healthcare Now and NNU have resources to help you organize and recruit for this. You know, if you want to if you want to take the lead in organizing in your area, you can do that. If you don't want to take the lead and you just, you know, want to show up to an event, you can also do that. So mm -hmm. uh, if you want to get involved, just send us an email um, and we will help connect you to this campaign. Right. Podcast at healthcare-now.org is our email. You can reach us at. You can also hit us up on Twitter at HCNow. And we will hook you up with Nationalists United and this amazing national campaign that is getting off the ground. Woohoo! All right. So the other, I'd say, big news in healthcare politics recently, if you can call it that, um, everyone has been talking about uh, the culinary union in Nevada throwing down with Bernie Sanders over their union health care benefits and Medicare for all. Um, <laughs> so I want to give a little bit of background to this. Um, the culinary union in, in Nevada is very powerful because they represent casino workers, which are obviously a huge chunk of employees in especially Las Vegas and Reno. Um, and they have decided not to endorse in this presidential election, which, you know, Nevada caucuses are coming up later this week. Uh, so we're just going to be hearing endlessly about this. Um, but what they did do uh, instead was to hand out an informational brochure to their members in English and in Spanish. Um, and I, I can't tell you how comical this is. This was definitely the start of the feud. Um, so the, the, the pamphlet has uh, three issues on it, right? It has immigration, good jobs, meaning kind of like workers' rights, and then healthcare is the third one. And they list the positions of all of the presidential candidates on these three issues. So they go over immigration and basically they list all of the Democratic candidates as having the same position on immigration. I, I don't think I entirely agree with that. <laughs> uh, they list all uh, the Democratic candidates on good jobs as having basically the same position. Again, I'm not sure I entirely agree on that mm. equivalence. Uh, but then when it gets to health care, there's huge differences between the Democratic candidates, which I do kind of agree with. But the first line of their summary of all the candidates' positions is Joe Biden uh, supports protecting culinary health care. This is the <laughs> private uh, health insurance plan that uh, some culinary workers qualify for if they're in the union. Um, Amy Klobuchar, protect culinary health care. Pete Buttigieg, protect culinary health care. <laughs> Bernie Sanders and culinary healthcare, <laughs> and then under that, underneath that, it says he would require Medicare for all. Oh my goodness! Uh, and then Tom Steyer obviously protect culinary healthcare. Um, even when he gets to Elizabeth Warren, they have like a even though they have very similar positions on Medicare for all, they really soft pedal their Elizabeth Warren thing. They say instead of requiring Medicare for all, it just says. Medicare for all, in quotes. Like, this is what she supports. <laughs> and instead of saying she would end culinary health care, it says she would replace culinary health care after three years. So I'd say there's clearly a bias there. Um, and we should remind people that the bulk of the American labor movement, their official position is supporting Medicare for all. The, the AFL-CIO, which is the umbrella group for the labor union, supports Medicare for all. And so do uh, the majority of unions in the country. So obviously, after they put out this flyer, they took some heat from some Bernie Sanders supporters. I can't imagine why. 
Um, and they put out this angry press release saying, quote, our union believes that everyone has the right to good health care and that health care should be a right, not a privilege. They said it twice. That should be right. We have already enacted a vision for what working people need. Hmm. Hmm. And it exists now. Hmm. Workers should have the right to choose to keep the health care culinary union members have built, sacrificed for, and went on strike for six years, four months, and ten days to protect. Hmm. End quote. So, um, Stephanie, I just wanted to ask you, you've looked a little bit at the culinary union health care plan. <laughs> Do you think that they have already enacted a vision for what working people need and that that vision exists now oh in gosh. the culinary health care union? <laughs> I wanted to know the details of this amazing plan that they're picking fights with progressive mm -hmm. candidates over. <laughs> um, so I looked into it, and essentially the benefits are about the same as an Obamacare connector plan. Right. <laughs> same general like we have. Yeah. Yes, that, that we have that mm -hmm. I hate and that I would give up in a heartbeat for, mm -hmm. <laughs> Medicare for all. Um, same general ballpark in co-pays. Uh, in fact, they're actually, in some measures, it's actually a worse plan mm -hmm. than ours. The annual out-of-pocket limit for this famed Nevada Culinary Union plan is over $6,000 for mm. an individual and over 12000 almost $13,000 for a family. How much and do culinary workers unions workers make these days? Uh, an average of $23 an hour. Yeah, I which... don't think that adds up to <laughs> being able to afford $7,000 out-of-pocket, I'm pretty so sure. So I just feel but... really sad that they think this is the best they can get. Mm -hmm. um, one of the more egregious things I found actually combing through their healthcare plan was that their ER copay is $350, except if you go to an out-of-network hospital, in which case they will only um, charge you that $350 copay if uh, the reason for your visit is determined to be an emergency. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and if that sounds familiar, it's because this was actually a scandal, um, something that Anthem, a for-profit health insurer, rolled out in a mm -hmm. couple of conservative states, including my home state of Georgia um, and Missouri, as well as Kentucky. And basically what they did was they decided to decline to pay <laughs> uh, mm. for any emergency charges if it was later uh, determined to not be an emergency. So if you show, so for example, a woman showed up to the emergency mm -hmm. room. She had severe abdominal pain. They thought maybe she her appendix had burst. It turned out to be uh, ovarian cysts, which are actually very painful. If you've ever had one, you know that it can really mm -hmm. feel like an emergency. And because it ended up not being an emergency, they gave they sent her a $12,000 bill. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, so in this regard, the culinary union plan is actually no better than a for-profit plan sold in a loosely regulated conservative state. Right. And this, I mean, largely emergency rooms have been exempted from these limited networks for good reason, uh, just because when you have an emergency, you can't you can't look up a list of in-network hospitals and like travel to one. Um, you have to get to the, the nearest emergency right away, emergency ER right away. Um, and like you were saying, almost no one knows what their emergency is. They just know that they have severe symptoms, right? That's why they go You're to the doctor. Pain. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and of course, the other reason is that since doctor's offices are mostly closed in the weekends in the United States, a lot of times we end up going to the emergency room because you can't wait three days to have whatever issue. It's urgent enough that you have to, to, to get care right away. Um, yeah, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the other thing I would point out is that, you know, like basically all union health plans, um, there's an hours requirement that you have to meet before you even qualify for benefits. 
So, you know, this is pretty much standard for, for uh, not all unions have their own health plans. Sometimes it's that you just get through the employer and they negotiate with the employer what it covers. But in, in some cases, the union actually kind of manages the health plan. Um, and that off, that's very common in the building trades, like steel workers, iron workers, electrical workers who, you know, they work on one project, like a building being built, it's over. And then they have to move on to the next one. So they don't have an employer who follows them from job to job. Um, so if you're a culinary worker in Nevada, you have to work at least 30 hours a week for three months continuously. Then if you've done that, you have a one month waiting period. Then you can get on to the health plan, but you have to keep working a continuous number of hours to stay on the health plan. Only at that point is healthcare a human right for you. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you have a four four month death window, right? <laughs> Where if anything happens to you and you need care, you're totally fucked, right? That is not a vision for health for a just healthcare system in the United States, and definitely not for Nevada healthcare workers, definitely not for culinary workers. Um, but of course, any culinary worker who gets sick enough or injured enough that they can't work anymore has lost their culinary health plan. Um, so uh, we beg to differ with a culinary <laughs> healthcare union. I'm glad most of the labor movement uh, disagrees and does support the Medicare for all, uh, Medicare for all in the country, and wants to take this off the bargaining table. Not that we, people would actually know that because the media is too busy covering right. the one vocal union that's actually totally against fixated. Medicare for all. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, now we get to our presidential candidate postmortem. This week, or rather last week, um, after a poor showing in Iowa, Andrew Yang has dropped out of the race. Oh, Yang Gang goes down. Oh, no. <laughs> Been so sad. Mm. Yeah, you know, Stephanie really didn't want to talk about this. But I, I just have a thing. Um, so angry, Andrew Yang was a, a fairly strong Medicare for All supporter early in this race, right? It was literally his only health care position. If you went to his page, he was like, things are bad. We need Medicare for All. Um, and he actually ran a series of ads all over the country, uh, pro-Medicare for All. I'm going to play one of them for you, for you now, just so you get a sense of my sense of betrayal when he totally <laughs> walked back his support for Medicare for All. I'm sure that we are not the first presidential campaign or family to have had special needs or autistic children. For whatever reason, I think we may be the first to talk about it openly. If you have a child with special needs, it's expensive. If you don't have access to good health care, families literally have nothing. We need to move towards a Medicare for All system where every American has access to quality and affordable services and start supporting families in a real way. Moving, wow. right? <laughs> Except for about a month ago when the Andrew, when Andrew Yang totally walked back his support for Medicare for mm -hmm. All. He said, uh, I no longer think it's politically feasible. We're never going to do Medicare for All. Um, and he... He he posted like the outline of a plan that, as far as I could tell, does doesn't actually do anything with the health insurance system. It doesn't expand coverage. It's not even like a public option or it doubled down on the technology subsidies. can solve our all of our problems. Yeah, perspective. it was so weird. Yeah. It was like you know, uh, uh, you know, improved red, um, electronic medical records are somehow going to solve this problem that we can't afford our health care. Um, so that was like really, I mean, he wasn't the first, but he walked it back further and harder than anyone yeah. I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, and like everyone, every other candidate who has walked backwards on Medicare for all, he is now in the candidate graveyard. <laughs> so um, I, I just can't believe that he like tried to cash in on his child with uh, autism mm -hmm. for Medicare for all. And then is like, oh, yeah, that's not a good idea or that's not politically achievable. So I'm not going to fight for it anymore. Sorry, son or right. whatever, you know. 
I hope that there's some recognition, you know, when we do sort of an analysis of what happened with the 2020 presidential primary of all of the candidates who have fallen into the trap of trying to differentiate themselves by right. creating some convoluted health care plan mm-hmm. um, that makes them look like a serious wonk type when really, you know, Medicare for all is the simple and uh, the most popular solution for Some, Democrats. Sometimes it turns out just being a moral person is better than <laughs> differentiating yourself from from the other candidates. Um, and on that note, uh, Pete Buttigieg, who also uh-huh. uh, didn't walk back Medicare for All support in the middle of the campaign, but did support Medicare for All as uh, long and distant ago as 2018 <laughs> um, <laughs> um, in a series of tweets. But obviously this entire campaign, he has not been running on Medicare for All. He's been running on Medicare for all who can afford it. I mean, who want it. Um, And John Oliver um, did a segment on this recently. Stephanie, do you want to talk a little bit about this? We have a quick clip as well. Yes, let's hear the clip first. All right. Pete Buttigieg, for instance, prefers a different concept uh, to Medicare for all, but with a catchily similar name. My healthcare vision is Medicare for all who want it. Let every American have the choice to walk away from the corporate private plans and towards something better. But when they're ready, because I trust Americans to make that right choice. Okay, well, hold on there. <laughs> you trust Americans to make the right choice? You know Americans choose to drink Bud Light, right? <laughs> Which doesn't taste like beer so much as it tastes like if beer somehow died and was discovered in its apartment three weeks later. But, But what Buttigieg is referring to when he says Medicare for all who want it is basically the public option. That is where the government doesn't replace the private insurance system. It just introduces its own plan that would compete with it. And it it would definitely be an improvement over what we have now. The problem is it would leave so much of our current insurance infrastructure with all of its problems intact. So that's kind of like being offered either a shit sandwich or a slightly smaller shit sandwich with guac. I mean, (laughs) I guess I'll take the second one if you're asking, but honestly, the lack of guac wasn't really my main fucking concern. Classic. So that was perfect. (laughs) John Oliver basically hits the nail on the head here. Uh, Moderates love to talk about how our healthcare system is working for most people and we just got to, you know, tinker around the edges and get the last 12% of uninsured people, you know, with insurance. Uh, No, absolutely not. Our healthcare system is a shit sandwich and adding a public option does absolutely nothing to change that. Um, The public option is not the incremental option. It's not the stepping stone towards Medicare for all. Um, Just as a shit sandwich cannot be recovered no matter the garnish. Why do you hate guacamole stuff? (laughs) (laughs) That's what's so great about his analogy is that he doesn't say, oh, it's like an incremental thing. Get rid of it all. And to be fair, I mean, Pete Buttigieg is the best punching bag, and I can tell why John Oliver chose him, but he could have said the same thing about Joe Biden, who has almost an identical plan, right? Um, And he could have said even worse probably about Amy Klobuchar's plan, which um, has a public option, but no extra subsidies. So that's like a shit sandwich with like little tomato pieces, which is not as good as guacamole. Uh, Or he could have picked Andrew Yang, who's like a shit sandwich with like a side of shit on the side, which does absolutely (laughs) nothing. Right. Um, And I felt like we should, there was one section, I I loved the, almost the whole Medicare for all episode. um, And he, he went over kind of a lot of common concerns about Medicare for all. Um, but there was one section, uh, I don't know if you had the same reaction, Stephanie, that I was like, I think you might have got this part slightly wrong, John. And that was the cost section. Oh, yeah. That wasn't 
that wasn't his best moment. Yeah, and he basically said, you know, uh, people are saying, well, it costs too much. And his conclusion, drawing on a New York Times Margaret Sanger Katz article, which you should never do when talking <laughs> about Medicare for All. Her only job is to attack Medicare for All, pretty much. Um, he's like, well, you know, we don't really know if it would cost more or less. It's impossible to know. Well, guess what, John? <laughs> all you have to do is look at every other fucking country in the world. Including your own. Who has Medicare for All, and you know that it costs less. Um, it is impossible to switch to a Medicare for All system and not save money. Um, and, you know, the, but the reason that he, he had these, uh, the New York Times article has these five studies, and most of them showed savings except for these two, which were attack pieces uh, from the 2016 election cycle, actually, um, done by Kenneth Thorpe and the Urban Institute, going after the Bernie Sanders plan, claiming that it would cost more. Um, but actually, after the Hillary Clinton leaks, uh, email leaks came out, um, it was exposed that basically the Clinton campaign had said, well, we need somebody to attack Bernie's sin- single-payer plan. Uh, what economist could we find who would go out on a limb and say exactly the things we want to say for us? And that was those studies, right? Um, so you can't be like, oh, well, there's a range of opinion on this. You can't you can't say that. Um, there's not a range of, of good quality economic analysis showing that uh, we can't tell whether Medicare for All will save money or not. It will. Um, so I think that uh, is our big news for today. Uh, we are looking forward to coming back next week. If you want to hit us up, email us at podcast at healthcare-now.org <laughs> or on Twitter at HCNow. And most importantly, we hope you get involved in the uh, People Over Profits Pledge campaign. Uh, we're going to be all about this for the next several months, uh, especially during this election cycle. This is like the best campaign be- to be running during an election because uh, this is basically what we're asking our candidates to stand up for. Um, and again, email us, uh, hit us up on Twitter, and we will get you involved in that campaign. Later.